track with me, if you would, this morning to 1 Samuel chapter 3. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. I grew up in the town with a strange name called Sakasana. I I grew up most of my life as as a child at the corner of Judy Road and Barber Drive. And it's there where I learned how to ride a bike. My brother taught me how to ride a bike. Much like he taught me how to do other things. He taught me how to swim, too. He took me to Horseshoe Lake, took, swam with me out to the dock. He said, you good? I said, I'm good. He said, okay, see you later. And he swam in. And he left me out on the dock to figure out how to get in. And obviously, I'm here, so I got in. Well, the bike riding thing was similar. He said to me, you're going to go down the road... And then when you hit Barber Drive, turn right. Turn your handlebars right. And then you're going to be fine. So he launched me out of our driveway. And I start going down the driveway, down down our road, Judy Road, Slight Hill, right on the corner. And and I'm going, this is easy. And I'm just going through the wind, having a good time, riding down. I'm going, yeah, now it's time to turn. And I'm turning like this. And I'm going, I got this. I got it. There's one thing he failed to tell me. He failed to tell me to turn the handlebars back. And I proceeded to turn and go smack right into the curb. Boom! Well, as I preach today, I feel like the kid who is learning how to ride a bike, who thinks when they're riding that bike they have it all mastered, And then I hit the curb. In fact, sometimes I think I hit the curb more often in this than riding with my wind, with the wind in my face freely. I am much more of a novice than an expert when we start talking about the speaking voice of God. And the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know. So today, when we start talking about the speaking voice of God in this series on the call of God, don't view this as a formulaic presentation of if you do this and you do this and you do this and you do this and you do this, you're going to hear from God. Because that's not at all what it is. Rather, let this kind of be, imagine riding a bicycle and seeing snapshots on the journey and in the middle of that journey, once in a while, hitting the curb. God's calling. And maybe the question is, is that you, God? (laughs) The comedian Lily Tomlin said this, why is it that when we speak to God, we are said to be praying, but when God speaks to us, we are said to be schizophrenic? Right? It, It all started, though, at the dawning of creation with three words. We read these words in the book of Genesis. And God said. 
From the very formation of the cosmos, God reveals himself as the God who speaks. It starts at creation. It moves through the entire redemptive story we see in Scripture. And it ends with the words of Jesus saying, Yes, I am coming soon. From point A to point B and everything in between of Scripture, God speaks. So I want to ask you today, Do you hear God's voice? Does God speak to you? See, we ask those questions with hesitation and maybe even skepticism, but we also ask that question with interest and with longing and with desire. Clearly throughout Scripture, God speaks, and clearly He desires a relationship with all of those who would know, love, and serve God. That is the principal foundation, as Ignatius said, of the Christian life. To know, love, and serve God and others. God speaks. And I believe God still speaks. But are there, and, and this is, this is um, the limitation to me of my own language, are there practical handles? I don't even like the idea of talking in those pragmatic terms, but are there some handles that we can grab hold of that might help us understand, glean, discern God's voice to our lives or how he speaks to us? Well, at the end of the message, I'm going to share a little bit of my own personal story. But before we get there, I want to tell you the story about when the speaking God met a real boy. The speaking God met a real boy. Or maybe I should say, a real boy meets the speaking God. It's in the scriptures for us in 1 Samuel chapter 3. This is the word of the Lord to us. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions one night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call you. Go back and lie down. So he went, and he lay down. Again the Lord called, Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now I think the way he probably said it was, Would you just get back to bed? Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And so a third time, the Lord called, Samuel! And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place 
And the Lord came and stood there. What a thought. Calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. The word of the Lord. The experience of Samuel teaches us a great deal, I think, about the speaking God. The God who desires to call us and even to speak to us. My spiritual director, David Vryhoff, has added some depth of understanding in my own understanding in this. He says this passage gives us clues to hearing the voice of God, and I believe he's right. Hearing the voice of God is so very difficult in our day. Have we ever been a more distracted people? Think about the distractions you may have had this morning. Maybe you had no distractions this morning, but I need to tell you that while I was getting ready for this service today, my mind was being distracted in a hundred places. Has there ever been a noisier world than the world we live in? It's so noisy. It's very rarely silent. But I wonder, I wonder, do we view silence as an enemy? Do we run from the silence? Do we really actually prefer the noise? Do I prefer the noise? Do I prefer the distractions to to silence? But if we're going to start talking about listening to the voice of the Lord, if there's anything I know I've learned over these years, it begins with the position I put myself in, which is the position of silence and stillness Stephen Machia goes on to say, he says that it includes slowness and solitude. Let me ask you, have you ever heard of the musical composition Four Minutes and 33 Seconds by John Cage? All right, I, see one, I see that hand. I see another hand. See me afterwards, we'll pray for you. It was written in 1952, the first time that it was Um, performed was in upstate New York in a barn-like environment. The audience was made made up of some of the most notable composers and musicians of the day. And this is how it went. The pianist who was playing that day came out. He set his stopwatch for 30 seconds, sat down at the bench, lifted up the lid, and put it down. And then he played not a single note. After 30 seconds, he stood up. He set the stopwatch to 2 minutes and 33 seconds. And he did the same thing. And then, again, for 1 minute and 40 seconds of silence. You'll notice the sheet music to the right. And you'll notice it's blank. People were uncomfortable. It's a controversial piece of music. People were beginning to get uncomfortable in their seats with the silence. But the question that was raised then is the question that is raised now, and it is this. Is this silence? 
Because you see, that night in 1952 or thereabouts, it was raining. So they obviously heard the patter of the rain on the roofs. They could probably hear in that upstate New York town the breeze in the trees. They could hear the chirping of the crickets. They could hear the shifting of bodies that were uncomfortable on some old pine benches. And they could hear the breathing of the people around them. Silence makes us uncomfortable. Because when we dwell in silence, we actually come face to face with the noise within our own souls. Noise that we often shut out. I shut it out sometimes with a screen. We shut it out with screens. We shut it out with music sometimes. We shut it out with news reports, cable TV, activities, entertainments, whatever it is I can be endlessly searching for, social media, all these different things, not in and of themselves, anything wicked or evil or bad, but we end up using them to shut out the silence. At least I know I have found that to be the case. It's much easier to do that than to listen to the voice within. Now, don't run out of here and say, Pastor Jeff says we should throw our TVs away, throw our computers out, throw our iPhones away. I'm not saying that at all. I think you know what I'm saying. No one enjoys sitting or sometimes laying on the couch and watching a good baseball game more than me. But I think you know what I'm saying. When was the last time you could hear your breath? when you were paying attention to your breath, when I was paying attention to my breath. You see, that's the place where God is often most free to speak. The psalmist understood that. We know these words. They're very famous for us. Be still and know that I am God. And when you read Psalm 46, you see that those words were spoken to a chaotic world. Verse 10 of Psalm 46 is at the end of this stretch of chaos. But our text says this. Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord. It's night. He was at that place where you are lying down and you can hear your breath. Now we know that Jesus made time for silence and solitude and stillness. We see that in, for example, Mark's Gospel, chapter 6. And the psalmist reminds us in Psalm 62... For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. And yet we struggle with this. I struggle with this. I've said it before. I have a, I have a mind like a, my mind's like a little active boy. It's all over the place, all the time. But Mother Teresa offers us wisdom when she writes, Our life suffers so much because our hearts are not silent. Silence gives us a new outlook on everything. We need to be silent in order to touch souls. The essential thing is not what we say, but what God says to us and through us. But here's the kicker. God can't speak through us if he doesn't speak to us. Right? And that's why Henry Nouwen called silence the crucible of transformation. 
So we need to make time for that position. And I hope you understand I'm not speaking about just even a position one time in a day. But ongoing points of that. Though I would strongly encourage you to find a place in your home that you can declare holy. Do you have a holy place? Tell me where your holy place is. Not right now. But maybe when you're leaving today or if you want to say something about your holy place, even if you're online on Facebook, this is where my holy place is. Where's your holy place? We all need that place. So where are you silent and still before God? Where am I silent still before God? But then this passage also teaches me that God uses people. And there's two ways in which God uses people. Um, this is the first one. The second one is what I'm going to talk about, but the first one is this. When we start talking about the call of God or we start talking about the will of God, those kind of things, let's always recognize that the call of God is never simply for us. I'm going to come back to that again. But too often we talk about the will of God, the call of God, and it's all about me. When the call of God is so much bigger than that, it ultimately always ends up of him to me through me. Him to me through me. But the second way, so in that way, it's always involving people. But the second way in which hearing the voice of God involves people is this. When you read Scripture, you discover that God's voice is rather communal in nature. We especially see that in the New Testament as we see them trying to determine the voice of God in different ways. But it's also true in this passage as well. Now, Eli is the priest who's overseeing the apprenticeship of Samuel in the temple. And notice how he discerns that it is the voice of the Lord. Now at first he was uncertain. We'll get back to that too. It seems like Samuel is just some pesky kid in the middle of the night. Go to bed, Samuel. But Eli realizes there's more to this late night interruption. Verse 8. Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So he gives him some instructions. Go lie down, and if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. He, he gives him some guidance. So the question that this raises for me, and maybe for you, is this. Who are the people in your life that can help you discern the voice of the Lord? Hearing God's voice is not a solo activity. It's not simply... This is what I feel God is saying to me because often when that's the case, it's more about us than about him. So it's really important to, to think about that. Who are those people? Now those people typically are more experienced in understanding the things of God. They have a regular practice of not only reading the scripture but allowing the scriptures to read them. They have developed and lived and continue to grow in a life of prayer. Those are the kind of people. So let me ask that again. Who are the people in your life that can help you discern the voice of the Lord? Name them now, right now in your mind. Name them. Who are those people? And if you're drawing a blank, then it's going to be very difficult to hear the voice of the Lord. So name them. There's people right now going through my mind in different stages of my life that were people who spoke to my mind, spoke to my life, who God used. 
So who are those people? Position. It seems counterintuitive. Position, silence, and solitude. People who may verify what you hear in silence and solitude. But then a third thing. Did you catch the first verse? We'll come back to this as well. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. You see, the reality is that the people in that day were out of practice when it comes to hearing God's word. And when you read the context of this passage, you discover that they were practicing a preference for idols and immorality and self-absorption. Read the context. Their preference was for idols, it was for immorality, and it was for self-absorption. It wasn't a preference for God. Even Eli was out of practice. It took him a little time to get with it. And yet, this is what we need to see here. Do you see God's persistence? I love this picture of God. Three times, Samuel, Samuel, Samuel. Three times God seeks the boy's attention. God doesn't give up easily. And God takes the initiative to come again and again. This wasn't Samuel like praying, oh, God, speak to me, or Eli saying, God's going to give you a word. This was God taking the initiative. So do you see God as persistently taking the initiative toward you? That he loves you so much. In fact, when we sing Behold the Lamb, that song, that's really about God taking initiative to us to redeem us of our sins and to grant us his life. That's our God. God wants to be on speaking terms with us. Again, the psalmist in Psalm 50, the mighty one, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to where it sets. And I love this. Our God comes and will not be silent. So where has God been persistent with his voice? Have you felt a divine prodding? In listening and acting on his voice, we grow in hearing God. We grow in our capacity. Larry George speaks about the divine prodding. He says, the divine prodding relays an inner urge that is nearly impossible to overcome. This inner struggle will result in a spiritual experience that either will make one whole or it will cause, if avoided, in the end, self-destruction, purposelessness, and aimlessness. So this tells us we need to be careful. We need to seek to be attentive to the calling voice of God. We need to hear what he's saying to us. We need to be careful that we don't put up roadblocks to him. So who is it, that prodding, that tapping, who is it that God continues to put on your mind? For prayer, a phone call. Who is it? Who's that relationship that God keeps tapping you about maybe seeking to mend? What about that ongoing discomfort you're feeling about a choice you're thinking about making? Or one that you've made? What about that discomfort, that sense that this, this, isn't, this isn't the thing? What interior response do you have 
to the scriptures. What are the script what kind of response are the scriptures generating within you? It's the scriptures that validate his voice along with being in community, not in isolation. Perhaps you sense an inner pull to explore vocational ministry. Maybe you want sense there's something in you saying you should be a pastor. Missionary, something else. Or perhaps you sense this pull, you hear of something, you hear we need this area of ministry uh, that maybe we've been talking about, need of worship, people involved in the worship ministry, or, or someone involved in doing this, or with our youth. Or... And maybe that's tapping, tapping, tapping. Maybe there's this tapping about an expression of ministry in your life, or in your community, in your workplace, or in your church. You see, God does not give us a one-shot hearing. He's persistent. Time and again, he speaks. But now, notice this. Notice Samuel's posture. The Lord called Samuel, and Samuel answered, Here I am. Now, this may be um, the clearest lesson that I glean from the boy, Samuel himself. Now note this, when Samuel first says this, he was not aware it was the Lord. It's really important we see that. It says he did not know the word of the Lord yet. But he runs to Eli thinking it is his voice. But notice this about Samuel from the very start. He is curious. Samuel's curious. Samuel's open. There is something about practicing a holy curiosity about God's movement in our lives. I, I think this is probably something that I wish I would have known um, 20 or 30 years ago, but I think the last three years, maybe the four years, I'm growing in this area, and I have a far way to grow, but this idea of curiosity of what God is doing. This is where the question that so many have invited me to ask the question, what is God inviting me into, comes from. That's worth writing down. What is God inviting me into? What is God inviting me into in a transition? And what is God inviting me into in some difficulty? What is God inviting me into when it comes to how I relate to him? What is God inviting me into is a great question of curiosity and then looking and listening and watching for God's work to unfold. What is God inviting me into when there's no answer? When it's not happening the way you think it should? When you, when you never, ever get an answer? What is God inviting me into? But then we see that Samuel realizes this is God. And he says, speak, for your servant is listening. You know, from the start, Samuel demonstrates this posture of openness. And now this openness to the voice of God, we see it clearly. He didn't fully understand it, but he grew into it. And that is, isn't that good news for us? Amen? Really? 
that's why I say this isn't a formulaic thing. It's not where if you do this, do this, do this, you're going you're to hear the voice of God. This is something we grow in and into and with. And that's what we see in him that's so helpful for us. Am I open to God? Am I open to his purposes? You see how this is a decentralizing of ourselves? It's not devaluing ourselves. In fact, it's discovering ourselves. But it's a decentralizing. Am I curious about what God wants? What God is doing in all of this? Now fast forward as we continue with this idea of posture. Fast forward and we see that the word of the Lord that God gives to Samuel is a hard word for a mere boy. The word that he gives him is an indictment of the household of his mentor, Eli. It's a tough word. But Eli teaches him still. Samuel told him everything, verse 18 says. Then Eli said, he is the Lord, let him do what is good in his eyes. That's that openness. Even Eli demonstrated an openness to God's desire. Why is this so critical? Well, I think this is a really good test for this idea of hearing God's voice. When the word we get is not what we want. One of the best books you could read on this is Hearing God from Dallas Willard. And he writes this. My extreme preoccupation with knowing God's will for me may only indicate, contrary to what is often thought, that I'm over-concerned with myself. Not a Christ-like interest in the well-being of others or in the glory of God. Now, this is how that's worked its way out in my life. There was a time when I would ask this question. Is this God's will for me? Then a dear friend helped me. Is this God's will for me? And I realized that's the wrong question. And the Lord led me to start asking, what is the highest and best good? I know you've heard me use that before, but that comes out of my own walk. So when something would come along, when there'd be a prompting for a different opportunity or a decision we had to make with our family, I started to ask this question. So what's the highest and best good for the church? What's the highest and best good for that person involved with this? What's the highest and best good for my wife? And on the end of the totem pole is, well, what's the highest and best good for me? And I came to conclude something, that if I seek God's highest and best good, I'm going to do his will. And I think that's what Dallas Willard is saying. It's too often when we say, what is God's will for me? It's really not about God, and it's not about God using us for others. It's really about us. And we have to guard that and be careful for that. 
Pastor Jeff, are you saying that we should not seek the will of God? I am not saying that. But I am saying that we need to seek deeply, honestly, transparently, with vulnerability before God, what our real motives are in this posture of openness. So it's not just about saying, wait, God, just bring me what you want. It's, God, what is it really that you're about? God's call to us is never for our benefit alone. Hear what Samuel said. Speak, for your servant is listening. Be curious about what God may be up to. Be open to the call of God. Posture. And then lastly, did you notice I have not specifically mentioned certain things? I've not mentioned about being in a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. I have not mentioned regular scripture reading. I have not mentioned intentional prayer times. I have not mentioned being part of sacrificially a regular part of a worshiping community. I have not mentioned serving other people. I have not mentioned living in obedience to God. I've not mentioned any of that. That's somewhat, to me, formulaic. But let me say this. Hearing the voice of God does not happen, or let me change that. Hearing the voice of God is minimally restricted and the worst case scenario does not happen when we are casual about our relationship with God. Important thing to remember. Hearing the voice of God is limited, it is restricted, it does not happen if we are casual in our relationship with God, if we're casual in our participation in this community called the church, if we're casual in our regular ongoing relationship and communion with him, if we're casual in serving his purposes. We must be purposeful in that. Purposeful in taking the time to place our lives in that posture of listening. I love those words from 1 John 1, 7. You could probably quote them to me. If we walk in the light, as he's in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. But I love that image. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light. And it suggests to us that as we walk in the light, more light is given to us. Part of the lesson of 1 Samuel is that for a very long time, people were not in that listening posture. People were not walking in the light. Read the passage, the greater context of 1 Samuel chapters 1, 2, and 3, and you discover that the people were very casual, and probably that's being very generous. They were very neglectful of relationship with God and his people. And that is why we hear those most terrifying words that we heard earlier. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. Ah. And that's not a word for us to point at someone else. 
All of that to say, if you seek to be formulaic in this, you will miss it because it is not one thing or the other. Rather, this is about life being intentionally, purposefully immersed in God and oriented toward God, devoted to God, and seeking to be attentive to God in the everyday. And I know Someone might say, well, you're a pastor. You're supposed to be that way and live that way and say those things. But, you know, the godliest people I know, many of them are not pastors. One of my longest mentors in life, Ron Attic, wasn't a pastor. He was a layman until finally they said, you should get ordained. He became a deacon, never became an ordained elder. And I knew no one who had a better conversation with God than that man. And I met person after person, non-pastors. So this isn't a pastoral requirement or trait. This is the call for all of us. Remember, we heard these words already in this series from Jerry Sitzer's book, The Will of God is the Way of Life. And he said... The call of God has to do with what we already know, not what we must figure out. It is contained in Jesus' command that we seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. The call of God then consists of one clear mandate, that we make God the absolute center of our lives. So that tells me that, it says to me, Jeff, if you think this is the will of God, the first question isn't, so what does God want me to do? The first question is, is, am I making him the center? of my life? Am I immersing? Because if I'm not doing that, I'm not going to get this right. It's going to be really hard. So that's the story about a speaking boy or a speaking God who met a real boy. Now let me share you a little bit of a story from my own experience. And there's a number of different places I could pick, but I don't know that I've ever told this story. It began in a chapel service in Crete, Greece when I was in the Navy, and I was an infant Christian merely by weeks. We didn't have a chaplain. It was a small multinational base, and we didn't have any chaplain of our own, so every week the commanding officer, Captain John Butterfield, would, and he was a Christian, would bring together whatever Christians were on the base, and he would assign us a devotional. Well, one Sunday I was assigned, one and one only, I was assigned, and I remember doing something from the Gospel of Mark. That's all I can remember, and I'm sure it was probably heresy. I'm sure I didn't know what I was, I was like, I was like four weeks old in the Lord. I had no idea what I was talking about. But he asked me. So I shared, and when he was done, Captain Butterfield came up to me and said, you should be a preacher. And I said, no, 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 no. I am going to San Francisco to work for the company my father-in-law works for, and I'm going to make a lot of money. And that was my grand plan. But 18 months later, I was in a church in Southern California, and this missionary, Dr. Steve Weber, was preaching. And I began to feel something. And I went to my pastor, and I said, I, I think God's calling me to be a missionary. And my pastor, Buck Gephardt, was very wise and he said, well, Jeff, I'll be praying with you. Wait a year. And if it's God, you'll hear it again. 
So I did that. So now, over the course of that year, what do you think I did? Just waited for God? Well, one of the things that happened was my practice of reading Scripture grew. I began to learn to pray and, and watch Glenn Bailey pray during prayer meeting, and I'd hear him pray, and I'd say, holy moly, that guy knows God. And I'd try to learn how to pray. I gathered for worship whenever I could. I listened to my pastor's sermons, and he would have these like notes. He'd go on and on and on. You think I'm long-winded. You are spared. <laughs> he was great, and I'd listen to him. I went to a Tuesday morning Bible study at a restaurant with my pastor and some other people, and we got anchored more and more in the Word. I found myself this need to give myself away to others, so you know what I did? I gave myself away to a group of teenagers. And I found my way to serve teens and others in the church. Anywhere the church needed me to serve, I just said, we need to do this, and Kathleen was the same. We determined that God kept speaking to us about a hard part of our lives, so we made a commitment to sacrificially give our money and our resources. No one ever told me to tithe. I read it in the Bible. I saw that you were to give it away, and the Holy Spirit said, you need to do this. The first time I came home to Kathleen and said, we need to give 10% of our money away, she said, you're crazy. But we did. I started going with my pastor to the rescue mission in Oxnard, California, and all of a sudden my eyes were opened to the brokenness of a world around us. And I just became active and involved wherever I could in ways that helped and served the church. A year went by. John Hall, missionary to Costa Rica, came and he spoke. He preached a sermon and invited people who sensed a call from God to come forward and I couldn't remain in my seat, nor could my wife. And we both made our way and we knelt at an altar like these. And it was there that I heard it. If I'm going to be a person of integrity and truthful, I have to tell you, I heard his voice. And I was, had this little business, and I was now out of the Navy, and I had this little business, and it was really not really going much of anywhere. But, so I started to try to do some other things. Believe it or not, I was going to sell insurance. And I kneeled down, and I heard this in my heart and mind. I have something else for you. And when I opened my eyes, my past. My pastor was over me. And Buck Gebhardt, this big guy, never trust a pastor who has barbed wire on his wall in his office. <laughs> he was from Texas. And he stood over me. He was praying for me. And that day I heard God speak to me from the scripture that John Hall preached on. You did not choose me, but I chose you to go and to bear fruit. Fruit that will remain. John 15, 16, which has become a life verse for me. And then others began to affirm the call. Karen Graves said, yes, I know I've been praying for you and sensing God to be the case. And then a couple months later, June 26, 1984, I went into my pastor's office and I said, Pastor Gebhardt, I think God's calling me to preach. And he said, yes, he is. I sense the same thing. I tell you that story, I could, I could have told you any number of places where 
I sense God spoke to Kathleen and I. Someday the call of what it meant to come to Community Chapel, how we hammered that out and listened for God's voice. But the point is this. When was it that God spoke to me? Was it with Captain John Butterfield in the fall of 1981? Or was it with John Hall in the spring of 1984? The answer is yes. Yes. In and out of everything going on, returning from overseas, our daughter Carissa was born, exiting the Navy, giving our lives to this little church, and learning, as we saw last week, to seek to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Still learning, still learning that. But now, it's your turn. It's your turn. When was it that God spoke to you? Is God speaking now? Have you given yourself to the position of stillness and silence? Have have you surrounded yourself with folks who have been on the journey with God and are experienced pilgrims? Are you in the, this open and curious posture to whatever it is that God wants? Is there a persistent tapping on your heart and life? Are you being purposeful in seeking to live your life for Him, giving your life away to His purposes, seeking to serve the church, developing and growing in your relationship with God? As I ask you that, I ask myself those very same questions. Am I God? Am I? And if you answer yes to any of that, be ready. Because God's calling. He's calling your name. What's going to be your response? Because every, as we established last week, everyone here and everyone listening Every one of us is called. What will be your response? Well, I think the boy who met the speaking God would say to us, I think this should be your response. Here I am, your servant, your servant is listening. Thanks be to God.